Oh, that was awesome. I don't even really, I should just like, I think we should just call it and say that was a good, that was a good service. That was what we needed to hear, wasn't it? I mean, we, uh, obviously we miss them. We miss Amy's beautiful singing voice. No offense to Justin, obviously, he's <laughs> wonderful. We miss, you know, them as a couple, and we're proud of them, and, and we're blessed to to be. So, you know, I know they need support, and the bottom line is if you guys are looking for someone to to support and be a part of that ministry, then hit them up and, you know, um, make that happen. So I'll just start with some prayer, and we'll get into uh, the study this morning. God, we are just thankful for the work that you desire to do that you desire to use people to reach other people. And truly, God, it's just that simple. And I thank you for Isaac and Amy's heart, and I pray use us that way too. And let that serve as an inspiration, God, what they shared this morning. Pray you would bless their ministry and increase them. We lift up Pastor Sean and Autumn and um, as they're gone and pray for a safe trip home and pray that you would just use this time to Again, to bless them and to refresh them as um, they get to see another culture and another way of life back there. Lord, let it stir something in their heart to, to perhaps uh, bring back and impart to us, Lord. And, and God, I, uh, I lift up our ministries here in our church, the women's ministry, the men's ministry, the children's ministry, those who serve in the kitchen, Lord, the security team the AV guys in the booth and those who clean the church, those who serve at the bridge, all these people, Lord, that come and serve and, and make this happen, Lord, and, and uh, we thank you for them and pray that, um, well, Lord, we just, we just want to see your kingdom moving. We want to see your kingdom going forward, and each part of that, Lord, is precious in your sight. We know that, and we thank you. Pray, help us, Lord, to serve you with joy and, and with... Uh, love for one another. God, we pray for those in our church that are sick this morning, who are struggling emotionally or physically. We pray for healing. We pray for refreshment this morning and a comfort. We pray for those to, to come to you and ask. Sometimes, Lord, we, we, uh, we suffer and we're, because we're not asking. Let us ask in faith and receive those blessings that you have for us, Lord, and in terms of healing or or uh, relief from anxiety and stress or worry or whatever it may be, Lord. God, we pray for our government. And Lord, is it just every day it's something. And Lord, we pray for our leaders to seek you, to seek your wisdom, to seek your word, to make decisions, Lord, based on um, godly principles, godly wisdom, and not the wisdom of men. We lift up our president, Lord, and pray that you would give him wisdom and, and humility and guidance and teach him and, and I pray uh, protect him from his enemies and, and just help us, Lord, to support those in leadership. God, we pray this morning for this message again. We just, we're getting into your word. Thank you that you left us your word. Thank you that we have something to go to that reveals you to us, your will to us. I pray and thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this morning we'll be in the book of 1 Corinthians, if you'd like to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you might have heard of that one before. It's a famous chapter. 
A lot of people quote this chapter at weddings. It's a chapter of love. Uh, just a little bit of context, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, the book of 1 Corinthians, to the church at Corinth. It was a Greek city around 55 AD. This was a real church. It's a real letter to real people. I always like to make that because sometimes this stuff can seem like, you know, a little bit ethereal in terms of its application. But this was simply a God's servant, this great apostle, writing a letter to people that he cared about people that he had a relationship with, that he was invested in, and that he was uh, in love with, people that he started this church in in Corinth, and um, there were problems there. You know, a lot of you may know that the church of Corinth is often characterized by being a carnal church. They had issues in, in terms of immorality and division and things that had cropped up, and Paul was writing this letter in part to help them get back on track. But Corinth was also a church that was known for being extremely spiritually gifted, a dynamic church, a church that was alive in one sense, but just had allowed this stuff to come in, even in the interest, I think, of toleration and relevance like we see in a lot of churches. But they were a church that was on fire for Jesus, too, despite these problems. And, and Paul is, uh, again, writing this letter to point them back to the right direction. We all need that on occasion. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of focus on the last few verses of that chapter. It's a short chapter. There's only 13 verses in the chapter. That's easy to remember because it's chapter 13 and there's 13 verses. And I was born on the 13th. So it's a, it's a lucky number or something. I don't But anyway. So he, Paul, th- I mean, truly, in, even in terms of just world literature, this chapter is one, is a masterpiece. And at the, he, he gives this definition of love that ch- kind of transcends our typical ideas of what love is, and, and that's why it's been so embraced, even often by the secular world. But before that, it, you know, in the context of the letter, we get into chapter 12, and again, this was a dynamic church, a church in which there they were a lot of gifts, gifts of tongues and prophecies and, and, and all kinds of great works they were doing. But it got to be kind of a competitive thing, and this guy was you know, doing this, and I want that gift, and I want this gift. And, and Paul is breaking it down, and he says, those gifts are great. Seek the best gifts you can, but let me show you something better. Let me show you the whole point of these gifts. Let me get back down to... Let me break this down. And he says, greater than all those gifts is love. And a selfless, sacrificial, sincere, simple love. And I think that they had forgotten, or some of them at least, and we can often forget the whole point of our ministry. And I think Isaac and Amy would would testify to this. The whole point of all those great works that they're doing is love for those people that they're reaching out to. Obviously, love for, love for God, but as he works through us, it's that tattooed guy sitting at the dinner table that they're trying to touch and reach with the gospel, right? And it's about their love for this guy that they would allow him to come in, this scary dude to come in in their house, certainly in gratitude for the love that God's shown us, but love for that guy. And sometimes we, we forget that part. It seems very simple, doesn't it? That if you're, if, you're doing, 
if, if that's not the motivation, then you can end up kind of wasting your time. You can do a lot of cool stuff for God. And if it's not touching the people that it's intended for, what's the point? So, for instance, if you want to volunteer in children's ministry, which we're more than happy to accommodate, if anybody's... That's always kind of our... But if you want to be a volunteer in children's ministry and your primary and driving motivation is not to minister and bless and love children, then perhaps it's not for you, right? I mean, sometimes in our small church, we get to this point where we just need help. And maybe people feel bad or they feel, they feel guilty or something, and we, we don't want to guilt anybody into anything. If, but, I mean, that's the reality of anything we do in church. If you desire to be an evangelist or a teacher or to be used in some other way by God, and your primary motivation, your cause, and your purpose is not a true love for others, you won't be successful in what may be a true calling on your life. You know, God's really putting this desire in there, but you get maybe off track a little bit like the Corinthians, and you get into focusing on the gift and not the, not the person that you're trying to reach. And again, this is something that I've struggled with personally, you know, over the years. And my, my walk with Christ has taken a lot of different forms and a lot of different categories. And, I, and I, you know, this message is talking to me too, you know. I'm, a lot of you guys know that I've been looking into volunteering with the Fremont County Search and Rescue. Those, that is a great organization. I love those guys. I love what they're about. I mean, they're super trained and talented and giving and, and brave and all this stuff. And it's like, I'd love to, to be a part of that. There's a part of me that just, but I, I have to come down back to the fact, if, that's, if I'm going to do that, it's about helping people, right? It's not about me learning a bunch of cool knots or how to repel off a cliff or helping. The, and, I, and, and really, that sometimes can, it can be like that. Like, I'm going to get something from volunteering in this. I'm going to benefit myself. But you know, their motto is that others may live. That others may live. And that, if, if I'm not about that, I'm not going to be a part of it. And that's something I'm still praying about. And I'm, I'm seeking the Lord in. And really, that's true in, for, li- you know, for life in general. A lot of us, you know, so many businesses, they start with their primary goal to get rich, right? I'm going to get in business. I'm going to do this job so I can make money. Um, that's, that's not abnormal. Their goal is to start a business to satisfy the desires and goals of the owners, of the owners, Right? I'm starting a business so that I can enrich myself, so I can buy a boat, so I can have not... If you have a boat, I'm not putting you down for that. That's cool. Actually, I'd like to know you better. (laughs) So if you do, I'm just playing. But you know, it's those businesses that are truly devoted to serving their customers, whose goal is to enrich others' lives in some tangible way. And those are the businesses that gain loyalty and devotion and who end up profiting in the long term. You know, and the difference with us, though, is that the dividends are eternal. The dividends are eternal. They'll never end. They'll never stop. And invest in someone else's life, that's an investment that will give you a return forever, 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 and ever. So, we haven't even read the Bible yet, but we're going to get there. Verse 8. I'm going to read... Uh, 
actually verses 8 through 13. And it says in verse 8, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So in verse 8, after this amazing definition, and I would encourage you, you know, if you're not familiar with it, read through chapter 13. But in verse 8, after this definition, the first thing Paul says is love never ends. Do you know, just the fact that love is eternal makes it superior to any gift or calling or work or wisdom or knowledge or anything else we can conceive of or accomplish in this life because all of those things will end someday. And the love described by Paul in this chapter is completely dependent on relationship and not just relationship to God, but relationship to one another. So if you look in verses 4 through 7, not 4 through 7, what am I talking about? Uh, oh yeah, I was <laughs> verses 4 through 7, love is patient, love is kind. Okay, who are we to be patient with if it's not our wives, our children, our co-workers, our friends? He's talking about relationship here, right? Who are we to be kind to if not our friends and our families, our co-workers? Who are we to endure with or bear with or to believe the best about, to not envy, to be humble with, to tell the truth to, if not those with whom we interact every day? This isn't an abstract concept, guys. This is about relationship. Paul's talking about the people you deal with every day. This is what that love looks like. See, what Paul is really saying, all of the gifts and works and abilities and talents and all that God gives us is wasted and worthless if we do it out of self-promotion. It's within these relationships that God produces eternal fruit. And I love, man, I love that they shared. He, said, he thanked me. I'm thanking them. You gave me so much material. Because that's what they're describing up here, right? When he said ministry, carrying out dead horses... But man, that's love if there ever was love, right? I'm not getting near a dead horse. <laughs> not without some nose plugs or something. But uh, that's love. That's how love is demonstrated. That's how the world sees that today. You know, and, and we're in an era where relationships are few and far between. We have a lot of virtual relationships. We have a lot of superficial relationships. And those are great, right? Those are wonderful until you need help. Until you need someone to pick you up at the airport or something, you're going to go on Instagram and find somebody to pick you up at the airport? They're going to like you all day until you put that, and then it's going to get no likes. Right? <laughs> no likes for the ride from the airport. And that's just the reality. You know, verses 8 through 10, again, prophecies will pass away. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass away. And it, all he's saying is in eternity... 
all prophecies are fulfilled. Okay? All mysteries are solved. Knowing will re- be replaced with being. You know, you're just, you're, there, there's nothing to know about. You are there. You are a part of it. You're in it. You are it. There's no confusion. There's only clarity. There's no partiality. There's only oneness. There's no lies. There's only truth. And really, if you think about what truth is, it's just another way to describe perfect reality. You know, these frail and flawed minds and bodies we inhabit will be replaced with something complete and perfect and new. And that separation we experience from God now, that physical separation, that wall between us and the spiritual world will dissolve. And we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. And that's in 1 John chapter 3. And that's the, that's, that's the completion of these things. He's saying, but the one thing that's going to remain after all that is that love that God has for us. So in the next couple chapters, Paul, to reinforce those points that he's trying to get across, he gives us a couple word pictures. He gives us a couple examples from the natural world, much like Jesus used to do with the parables. Take something from the natural world and, and use it to demonstrate a truth in the spiritual world. So verses 11 and 12. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. That's verse 11. So the first example he gives us is that of becoming an adult. That from going from childhood to adulthood. You could say, you know, a, a girl to a woman, the same way, you know, just growing up. And I think we can all relate to this example. All of us here were babies at one time, impossible as that may seem, right? We were all just little tiny babies one day. And there was a day when none of us knew how to walk or talk or feed or dress ourselves and at that time, basically, our, our parents cared for us and provided us with even our, boast, our most basic necessities. Now, as we grew, we took on more of those tasks ourselves. And I remember being elated. Every little thing my sons could do, I was like, yes, he can tie his shoes now. I don't have to do that anymore. And I was so happy about that. Every little time, they would, oh, he can feed himself? Thank God, you know, I, and not because I was a proud father, but because I was lazy and didn't like doing those kind of things. I didn't like bathing them. You know, my son Ashton, he, where is he? Is he in here? Yeah, he is. So he had this thing. You could not get water in his eyes or all, it would all break loose. You know what I mean? So he had to wash his hair in this perfect way with the cup and dripping it. And I, and I just like, I just splash him, you know, like, get over it washing your hair and just get over with and it'd be this big thing and you know my wife had the technique down just perfect but my wife my wife on the other hand she seemed to mourn every new development because she loved caring for them and being intimately involved in every teeny aspect of their young lives but you know for all of us the day came when we left home and we been, began to make our own way in the world. The routines and habits of our childhood were replaced with those of adulthood. Many of us even went on to have children of our own. 
and to provide for them in the same way that we have been provided for. So everybody's following me along. I mean, that's the example that Paul's giving here. A lot of times you can interpret this as kind of growing as a Christian, and I think there's an application there too. But really, it's the difference. If you look at the context, talking about love never ends and these types of things, it's the context of the difference between our temporal life compared to that of the eternal life that awaits us. Regardless of how educated and experienced and accomplished and capable we may become in this life, we're babies and we're infants. We are dependent on God every day. And if you think that's not true, try to make your heart beat by itself. Try to make your lungs work by themselves. All of us are, are, are infants in his direct, just um, minute care every single minute of every day. And we forget that as we get older, don't we? We think we're self-sufficient. We think we're doing these things. But Paul's saying, when, when you get into that eternal state, it's going to be like you were, you were a baby and now you're a man. Now you're an adult or a woman. You will be that complete, fully developed self that God intended before the fall in the garden. You know, the second example he gives in verse 12. And he says, uh, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now this is kind of interesting. So the, the first mirrors were actually pools of water that they would look into. You know, sometimes a pond, and then maybe they'd put water into a bowl, and they could kind of look into the, to the deal there. You know, we're reminded of the, some of you might be familiar with the Greek myth of Narcissus. For the, from the, you know, it's where we get the word narcissistic. This young man who was a hunter, he was extremely handsome, and one day he was, some myths say he was led to it, some others say that he just happened upon it himself, but he saw his reflection in the mirror, and he became enraptured with it. And he stared and stared at himself until he died of starvation or committed suicide, depending on the thing. And that is a lesson for our culture today, isn't it? For sure. But the, then after the, the pools of water became these mirrors of polished stone and then metals. And mirrors in the ancient world, the kind of mirror that Paul may have been referring to, probably was, was basically a polished metal of some sort. They weren't like our mirrors today. And I imagine that people were happier in those days because you couldn't see all the, <laughs> you could only get a part of, your, of the picture. They were often distorted. They weren't completely flat. So you might be a little bit off or it might have some defect in there. And that's what Paul is referring to. He's like, we, we see a part of the truth. We see a part of what God's chose to reveal in Scripture. But we're not going to, we don't have a clue as to what the entirety of that picture really is, right? There's, you know, it hasn't even entered into our mind the things that God has prepared for us in eternity. Even today, though, mirrors might be deceiving. Things such as lighting, failing eyesight, and other influences can make us miss these things. That's why many of you ladies, you have these mirrors. I go in a lot of houses, I see this thing, you know, with lights all over them or the little magnifying mirror that you can see every pore on your face. I mean, it's incredible, you know, so. 
But regardless of how great your mirror is, the detail to which you might be able to observe yourself physically, you're missing something. Because there's no mirror on earth that can show you your heart. There's no mirror on earth that you can see someone's hurt in, your own hurt, your own problems. You can't see the new creation that God has created you to be in a mirror. Or you can't see the plans and the purposes he has for you. But when the time comes that we go to be with him, we'll no longer have to be contented with distorted images, with the truth obscured by the darkness of this world or the weakness of our flesh. We will know all, see all, and in that state, the love with which God first loved us will be fully realized. So we get this picture from these two examples. They seem to kind of diverge, right? Because in in a sense, he's talking about love. And then he gives these two examples of being complete, of being um, changed. And that's because, guys, it's it's not a divergence. It's because these examples illustrate the reality that eternal life The eternal life that God has prepared for us is the culmination and the final demonstration of the great love Jesus Christ demonstrated for us when he died on the cross. That's where we're trying to get to. That's the completion of the love that started, and it started now, and we're living in it now. But love never ends, and that eternal life, that's going to go on forever and ever and ever is the culmination of that thing. Jesus says in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And that's the love that never ends. That's the love that we're to have for our spouses, our children, our friends, our coworkers, or whoever it is that the Lord would have us know and invest in. I'll also say that this kind of love that's being described here, as as we already kind of alluded to, is impossible without a relationship. You know, earlier, um, well, this month, we've been hearing about all the tragedies in Houston, Texas, in Florida, in the Virgin Islands, and these people that have been just wiped out, that have come home to nothing. And... You know, my heart yearns for those people. I have a compassion for those people. We can help those people. But what's the difference in me just like, again, referring to a group of people that's been affected compared to that if I had a daughter or a close friend or somebody else that were in that area and had been so affected, right? I mean, the difference of your interest and care and um, investment in that person is vastly different. Would you agree? There, and that's what, that's what we're talking about. You can't, you can't demonstrate this kind of um, the love that God has for us with other people without that, without that connection. Now, I will also qualify, you can create those relationships by going there. You can create those opportunities by saying yes, like he said, by getting involved and getting there and getting to know people and... There is that opportunity, so don't let that hold you back. Well, I don't know anybody down there, so I don't care. I mean, that's not the point. We're saying you can get to that point. You don't have to just stay where you're at now in anonymity. There's somebody out there that God wants you to invest in, and putting yourself into the certain situations that facilitate that, 
That's what God wants. The last verse is so full, we could spend at least the next 15 minutes because that's why I got talking about it. And I love this verse, and it's an easy one. If you're into verse memorization, you could put this one on your list because it's so easy to remember, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So that part's really easy, and it's pretty short. It says, so now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So, The reason he says the greatest of these is love, I think, at least a, a partial, partial of it, and all this stuff, guys, I mean, search out your Bibles. I'm not the final authority on this. These are things that God, I mean, there's different applications for certain scriptures, for sure. But what I see in this is that if he's saying love never ends, and love is the greatest, and then he gives us this, this trinity, if you would, faith, hope, and love. And these are the three most powerful forces in, in humanity. I mean, not just for the Christian, but for, for, for us as a, as a race of, of humans. You know, faith, hope, and love. See, faith will end someday. When we're in eternity, we don't need to have any faith. We're there, right? <laughs> so, we won't have faith in heaven. Faith is only necessary when something is unrealized. And really the same can be, had, be said for hope. We need not hope in something that we have received. You know, you're a kid and you want like, what, what can I even say? You want an Xbox for Christmas? I'm trying to be relevant. That's, the Xbox is like old now already. But you want something for Christmas and you're hoping for it and then you get it. Well, the day after Christmas, you're not still hoping for it. You've got it. That's the point. So, but love will be there, and it will be the culmination of that in eternity. And I think that's why he's given us this. But So in this trinity of faith, hope, and love, we can also see the trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In faith, we see the Father, the Creator, we believe that he is, that he's good, he is who he says he is, he created all things. In hope, we see the Spirit, the witness of Christ and his coming. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It says he confirms in our heart the promises that God's given us. And in love, we see our Savior. We see the one who died and yet lives, who for joy in our forgiveness and fellowship, lay down his life for us. So let's just look real quick at faith. Faith is one of these things that we could go on and on and on about. And much has been taught about faith, and I don't claim to have the, the final word on it here. But one thing I have realized and, and have noted, that each successive generation of the church, I think, requires a greater measure of faith. We were talking in prayer this morning about the shortness of time and how time is short. I brought up the fact, you know, the Apostle John in his uh, first letter, 1 John, he says, we're in the last hour. And you think about that. I mean, that was a long time ago, 2,000 years ago. He said, we're in the last hour. We have faith. We have faith. But that faith 
wasn't necessary to a lot of the early church. Peter didn't have to, I mean, in the second coming, obviously, but Peter didn't have to have faith that Jesus existed. He knew Jesus. He was friends with Jesus. Peter didn't have to have faith that Jesus walked on water, that he performed miracles. Jesus didn't have, I mean, Peter didn't have to have faith that Jesus rose from the dead. He saw Jesus after the fact, and that was the apostles' testimony. They didn't have to have faith in those things. It was simply things that they had, as again, the Apostle John would say, we've seen, we've heard, we've touched, we've talked to, we've eaten with, we've experienced this firsthand, and that was that first witness that exploded onto the world, and thousands of people got saved because these guys were giving their lives for that testimony. But now, I mean, just the fact that Jesus existed is, is, is debated in some circles. The fact that he was crucified, the fact that he was you know, who he was and what he did and all these things. Let me just tell you, if you believe that Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, was persecuted, tortured under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, rose on the third day, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, you have a great faith. You have a great faith. The next generation after us, they're going to have, a, have to have a greater measure of faith just to believe those primary doctrines that have taken for granted by generations of Christians for thousands of years. And God wants to use that great faith for his work. You know, we, we take that stuff for granted sitting in here, right? I mean, we, we think, well, you know, and I kind of grew up that way. I grew up in the South. Well, of course, Jesus you know, Jesus is it. Jesus rose from the dead and all this stuff. We didn't, we didn't doubt those things. But man, what kind of doubt in the world is it today? The churches are falling away. The, the, you know, the church-going people in their 20s and 30s and, and all this, I mean, it's just plummeted. And you look at England right now, I'm reading this thing where there's this thing in England now where they, they have this nostalgia for these old churches that are in ruins and they don't want them to be torn down because they still kind of feel this attachment. But I'm not going to church. I don't really believe any of that stuff. And, man, we see the church just... So if you have that faith today, relish that faith. Build on that faith. Be thankful for that faith. Because God, it's not just for you. It's for the world that is falling away from that faith. Faith is the, a thing, is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. That's the definition from chapter 11 of Hebrews, the great faith chapter. Now, all that means is you're absolutely sure of something to come, that thing hoped for. Knowing something is there, even if it seems unlikely or impossible given the current circumstances. You know, there's all these examples in Hebrews. And we're told in chapter 11, again, it's impossible to please God without faith, that we must, one, we must believe that he exists, and we believe that he rewards those who seek him. That's the message, guys. A lot of people stop at that first part. It's impossible to please God without faith. Oh, I believe in God. But do you believe that he's the God who he says he is, that he's a good God, that he loves you, that he died for you? And that's, that's where we come in. That's where our faith has to fill in that gap. So it doesn't just stop there. Because stopping there doesn't get you to eternity. 
You know, as it says, even the demons believe there's a God. A lot of heinous people out there believe in God. I was listening to this uh, article, or reading an article the other day, excuse me, about there was this plane flying out of London, I believe, and in any case, the engine caught on fire. There was this huge boom, and there's flames out the engine and everything. They had to make an emergency landing. And they, they interviewed a guy, and he, and he makes the comment, and I assume he was British. I, you know, it was like British Airways. He says, uh, I'm an atheist, and even I was praying. <laughs> and isn't that always the case? I mean, the atheists that we have, they represent a very small percentage of our population, and even those guys aren't quite, they're not quite sold out for atheism. I mean, when stuff goes down, I mean, they're, they're praying too. But the point is, again, that's, it's how we live. It's how we have the relationship with those people that's going to fill in that gap to say, yeah, you believe in God, that's the great first step, but do you believe in this God? Do you believe in the good, faithful, loving, just, merciful God who sent his son to die for you? Hope is the second one. Now, hope is often tied to faith in some ways. They're very similar. One can almost say it's impossible to have faith without hope or even to have hope without some measure of faith. They're kind of intertwined. But I think that one of the differences is that hope often has a specific object, while faith can be kind of more open-ended in its expectations and things. And, and what, all I mean by that is we put our hope in the literal second coming of Christ and the resurrection of the body. We have faith in the, in the Trinity, and we have faith in all these doctrines, but we're, we're, we're kind of having a hope in a specific event. Hope, again, is one of the most powerful forces. You know, talking to these search and rescue guys, I mean, when a person loses hope out in the wilderness, they're dead. You know, when they decide to give up, oftentimes the elements will take over. Hope. They need to have hope. They need to have hope that someone's coming, and that will sustain them far longer than if they just give up. Proverbs thirteen twelve says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And just talking about the life, the abundance that hope can bring into your life. But when you've lost hope, whether it's in your marriage or your, your friendships or your church or your, you know, whatever it can be, that's a desperate place to be, you know. And hope, faith, hope, and love. This is a word that Paul uses very often throughout the scriptures. But if you're living in hope, then you're living in joy. Joy and hope really go together. You know, that can overcome your, your circumstances. Our God not only wants us to believe in him, but to hope in him, to look forward to him, and to joyfully, joyfully and expectantly wait for him. And that hope will power you through, will power you through so much. And I've seen that, obviously, in my own life. We've talked already about love, so I won't go into these too hard, but I was reading recently in my private time um, through First Kings, love. Guys, we all love something. We all love somebody. We all love things in various degrees. King Solomon in First Kings chapter 11, it says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, 
Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. And then in verses 2 and 3, it says, Solomon clung to these in love, and his wives turned away his heart. It wasn't his wives, guys. His wives didn't turn away his heart. I mean, his affection, his adoration, his love for his wives turned away his heart from God. A man who had God, who had appeared to, who had blessed in so many ways, and he loved, I want to get down to this, he loved himself more than he loved God, more than he loved his heirs, his sons, more than he loved the people that he was in charge with, and he chose the pleasures of these wives and these things and this, and it drew away his heart from God. You know, and what a heart-wrenching verse, how tragic that this wise and godly man made such a choice. Again, after all he had experienced with God. But this, this thing he clung to. And they turned his heart away. You know, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is, many of you might know this, he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then he added in verse 39, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want you to say, notice it doesn't say obey the Lord with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. It doesn't say fear the Lord with all your soul, with all your mind, so on and so forth. It says love the Lord. It doesn't say serve the Lord. It says love the Lord. I love what Amy shared that God blesses obedience, but you know that obedience comes from love. It's not the other way around. You don't end up loving God because you obey God. You obey God because you love God. And when you are in one with God, and when your will is subject to his will out of love and gratitude and adoration and all those things, devotion to him, it's not obedience, it's unity. It's agreement, right? Now, sometimes, man, that stuff doesn't always line up with our desires. It doesn't line up, and that's where we get that turn, term. But like Solomon, he's clinging to something. He's clinging to this stuff that, that, that he, he can't give up, you know? And uh, be careful what you cling to or what clings to you. If it's not God, if it's not Jesus, if it's not his word, you know, when you want advice about a life decision, what are you clinging to? What do you go to? Do you go to his word? Do you go to godly counsel? You know, if it's not God, if it's not Jesus, whatever you're clinging to, it will end in disappointment, at the least, and eventual destruction. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. There your heart will be. And I, my encouragement this morning, make sure Christ is your ultimate treasure. Um, that's really the message for me today. You know, if Christ is our treasure and Jesus treasures people, then we treasure people. You see the progression? <laughs> Man, God has such a good plan for all of us. He has such a good plan. And sometimes, again, when we lose hope in that, maybe we're going along in your life and you're like, God, what is, you know, look for those doors. I heard a message recently from a guy talking about that verse where, where it says, I've put before you an open door. But you know, I realize a lot of times in my life, I'm walking through there, God, please show me a door. Please open a door for me. If only you would open a door. But you 
man, I want to look up. Look up and see the doors that God has for you. He has a great plan for your life. So that's our message this morning. If the worship team wants to come up, get us out with a song. And again, uh, Curtis is going to be out at the table for the uh, men's retreat. I'm sure Amy and Isaac are going to hang around for a few minutes if you all want to talk to them and see what's going on. And uh, thanks for coming this morning.